Well, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville. If you got your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Continuing uh, this morning in our series called No Going Back. We've uh, been in the book of Hebrews now for several weeks. And I tell you, yesterday I, I really uh, discovered a perfect, perfect example of what the book of Hebrews is t- intended to be. Um, I go into my office there at my home, and uh, there laying on the desk is an unsolicited, uh, out of nowhere, just kind of random letter from my youngest daughter that reads, Daddy, I love you. I hope whenever you go to work that you never give up. And Now, we're still working on the Tennessee spelling here, all right? And uh, still try even if it's hard for you. Isn't that sweet? Some of you are crying like I did, all right? But I read that and I thought, you know, that really is the perfect example of what the book of Hebrews is intended to do. Because everybody here at some point in life has that day, that week, that season, that moment where you just feel like, man, do I want to take another step? Do I want to keep going? Am I sure that I can do this? And you need that letter, that note of encouragement that says, keep pressing forward, keep going on. That is exactly what the letter of Hebrews is intended to do. It's intended to say, no matter what you're going through, no matter how suffering uh, you may be dealing with, there is no going back because of who Jesus is. And that's what we've been looking at over the last several weeks. And so this morning we come to uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. And uh, let's pick it up there. Invite you, if you would, to please stand if you are able uh, for the honor of reading God's Word. Hebrews 5 and verse 11. The author writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, the instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me and for me as we ask God to challenge us this morning? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time uh, to be together, to gather for worship. Um, There's so many elements of this gathering that are intended to be acts of worship, from giving to singing praise, uh, now to look to your Word. We, We need to hear from you. There are so many messages in our life throughout the week We need this moment of clarity as your truth rings in our ears and rings in our hearts. So come talk to us, O God, by your Spirit. And we pray it to the glory of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It was hard growing up in the shadow of a legend, but that's exactly the life that Shelton was born into. 
By his early 20s, his life uh, was under such pressure that it really started swerving off the tracks. Uh, He joined a punk band uh, where he was making about $30 a night. Uh, He was living wherever he could find a place with random friends, on drugs, chasing women, even had a few run-ins with the law. His life, in a very real way, was out of control. Now, that kind of living wasn't all that uncommon uh, from someone in his family tree. In fact, you could even call it a family tradition. You see, most people didn't know him by the name Shelton. Most people knew him by the name of Hank Williams III. He was the grandson of country music legend Hank Williams Sr., the son of Hank Williams Jr., and follow in their footsteps he did. He eventually made the shift from punk rock to country music, where he would play in small towns and honky-tonks and and at county fairs, even the Grand Ole Opry. He was playing every weekend and four nights a week for five straight years, all the while pushing his body to the edge with hard living. Things got so bad, he was forced to enter a rehabilitation center in California, but once he got out, he went back to that same reckless style of living, to the point that he lost everything. He lost his girlfriend of seven years. He had to sell his truck just to pay the bills. His dog even died. He was living a country song, right? And all that happened on the same day. He was, as his granddaddy used to sing, so lonesome he could cry. And then one night in Chicago, he was scheduled for a show, and he didn't show. He didn't show because he was passed out drunk somewhere. He didn't show because his ex-girlfriend had staged an intervention. Present at that intervention were people like Waylon Jennings, his daddy, Hank Jr. Now note to self, if you ever have an intervention in your life and one of the guys leading that intervention is this guy, you are in a very, very bad situation. Amen? They did it because they loved him. They did it because his life could not continue to be headed in that direction. They did it because it was time for Shelton to grow up. You ever had one of those moments? I don't mean an intervention for drugs and alcohol, though that could be true for some of you. I mean, have you ever had one of those conversations where you had to hear what you didn't want to hear in order for you to grow up? You needed that kind of conversation to get your life moving in the right direction. And my guess is that all of us have experienced that in some way, and it could have been in very practical ways. It might have been a teacher that just said, if you don't focus, you're going to fail. It might have been a boss that said, if you don't improve your performance, you're going to be fired. 
It could have been a bank that said, if you don't start making payments, you'll be foreclosed. It could have been a coach that said, if you don't get better, you'll be off the team. Could have been a police officer that said, one more time and you'll be arrested. Could have been a doctor that said, if you don't change your habits, you'll never be healthy. It could have been a parent that said, if you don't follow the rules, you're going to have to move out. It could have been a pastor that said, if you do not repent, you will not be saved. You see, life is full of grown-up conversations, and my guess is that all of us have had some of those at some time. They're needed. They're not necessarily what we want to hear. It's not necessarily instruction that we receive gladly, but we need to receive it nonetheless. That is exactly what the author of Hebrews is doing to these Christians in the passage that we just read. He wants to say to them, if you do not grow up, you're going to go back. And I have already told you why you do not want to go back. Notice how this is the theme of this text. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the what? Say it. Mature. For those who've had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to what? Maturity. This is the author's uh, equivalent of a spiritual intervention. It is a grow-up conversation because they are going back or considering going back to childish things, spiritually speaking. That is, they want partial revelation when they could have full. They want angels when they could have Christ. They want Moses when they could have Jesus. They want sinful rebellion when they could have Sabbath rest. They want the old priesthood when they could have the confidence to draw near. They want milk when they could have solid food. And so the author, with pastoral love and pastoral affection, writes to them and says, it is time to grow up. It is time to mature. Now, why does he emphasize maturity? Notice a couple of things here. First of all, because maturity is normal. Maturity is normal. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, there's a a point you should have already progressed to. You should already be here, but you're not. That's not cute. That's deeply concerning. It's abnormal. You're not progressing the way you should. Now, faith family, it is very difficult to preach a message like this in a culture that celebrates immaturity. Amen? Our culture celebrates and embraces immaturity. You see it in the movies. For instance, like uh, Step Brothers, which I happen to like, okay? I'm not down on you if you like the movie. It's one thing to see that in a movie. It's very concerning to see that in life, where you have grown men acting like children, Or you have delayed adulthood or a delayed adolescence where 30 is the new 18. We live in a culture that celebrates youth and despises the old, that does everything they can to avoid 
old age because we don't necessarily want maturity. You have a manhood that is perfectly fine approaching life with no plan whatsoever. Saloy. <laughs> Faith family, I wish that were only true in the movies. I wish that was just a movie clip and was fictional, but it's not. It's a celebrated kind of immaturity that is very real. And it's not cute. It's not cute. It is deeply concerning because you are not progressing the way you ought to. Just look around you. Look, for instance, at creation. You see a creation that God is bringing to maturity. He creates Adam and Eve, tells them to work it, to cultivate it, to advance it. And in Revelation 21, you see creation that is brought to maturity. Creation that is brought to completion. In other words, the entire created order was made with a plan and God will mature it. Think, for instance, of Christ. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. That is, even though he was perfect in his morality, he still matured in his manhood. Think, for instance, of the whole goal of Christianity. Christianity is about being born again. It's about having a new life and then growing into maturity in Christ. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, but in your thinking be mature. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Ephesians 4, 14, so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he that began a good work will bring it to maturity, bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, the whole goal of Christianity is maturity, to become Christ-like. And of course, we know all this if we just look at the common cycle of life. I mean, just look at the natural process of life all around you. If you see a baby, you know that it is perfectly natural and normal for that baby to become an adult. If you see a puppy, you know that it is perfectly natural and normal for that puppy to become a dog. If you see a kitten, you know that it is perfectly and normal and natural for it to become absolutely useless. All right, that is, that is the normal. Process of life. Amen. I won't get any emails over that. I'm sure. All you have to do is just look around. It's the maturity is, the, and if it's not maturing, something's wrong. Um, it's why parents, if you have a baby and that baby is not growing, you don't take pictures and talk about how cute that is. You're concerned for the life of your child. Christian, I know you may not want to hear this. 
but you need to hear this. Your immaturity isn't cute. It's unnatural. You ought to be teachers by now, but you still need someone to teach you. That's a real concern. Maturity is natural, but notice another thing here about maturity that we see is that maturity is more than knowledge. We need to understand that maturity is more than knowledge. Look at verse 13. It says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, the author here is, is talking about a skill, a, a practicing of something. And that's not how we often think about maturity. We tend to think of maturity purely in terms of Bible knowledge. And so it kind of goes like this. You know, as a kid, you, you, you watch Veggie Tales, right? And you learn Bible stories and, and moral lessons that we find in the Bible. But eventually, you'll progress to youth group. And there you'll learn uh, how to have Bible study and you'll learn some things. But eventually, you'll be able to take a class by Beth Moore. And now you know you're really advancing along. But eventually you'll bypass that and you'll start reading C.S. Lewis. Now you're starting to get to the deep end of the pool. But, but when you know you've really arrived is when you start studying prophecy. Now that's big boy Christianity. And maybe just a few, just a, a few people, a small percentage of you will actually learn Greek and Hebrew. That's the highest level of spiritual maturity. That's nonsense. <laughs> that is not what the author is saying here at all. He is not saying you really should be studying prophecy by now, but instead you need veggie tales. That's not what he's saying. He's saying what Jesus said to Nicodemus, namely this, you have all this knowledge and you don't do anything with it. You know everything I've already explained to you, and you're still going back. Knowledge was given for obedience. It wasn't given just to know something. It was given to do something, to live in obedience, to, to learn the skill, to practice discernment. That is why you have been given this knowledge. For some of you, Bible knowledge is like a man with a garage full of tools that doesn't know how to use any of them. Wives don't nudge, okay? It's talking about you, right? You've been given all of this to practice it. Listen to Ephesians 6, verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is the sword of the Spirit. A weapon to be used is the Word of God. Notice this on the screen. Here's the point. Maturity is more than being schooled in the Word. It's being skilled in the Word. Now, knowing is important. You're to grow in your knowledge, but knowledge is not enough. That is not maturity. Maturity is when you can take that knowledge 
and apply it. You see, it's one thing to know that gossiping is wrong. It's another thing to discern when you're gossiping. It's one thing to know that greed is wrong. It's another thing to discern when greed has entered your heart. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, Lakeville, everybody. The rich young ruler knew the law, but he couldn't discern his heart. Notice this, immature Christians would rather debate when Jesus will return rather than live like he actually will. Amen? Immature Christians love to sit around and talk about the timing of Jesus' return. Mature Christians live like He might do so today. That's maturity. It is normal, it is natural, and you need to see that it is more than knowledge. But notice thirdly, another important thing about maturity here that the author says is that it happens in our greatest time of need. Now, I think this is the point we almost always miss in this passage, and it comes out of the context of what the author has been saying. These Christians are suffering, they're they're dealing with difficulty in life, and um, they're tempted to go back. Now, notice what the author says in verse 11. About this we have much to say. Now, what's the this? He's referring back to something. I believe he's referring back to what he said in verse 8. Look at that. Although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. In other words, he matured, he learned obedience through his suffering. This is what the author is saying right here, everybody. If Jesus matured through suffering, how do you think you're going to mature? Answer, through suffering. Don't you see that suffering is how you are sanctified? So if you go back, you won't ever grow up. You need to embrace the trials that are coming into your life knowing that God is going to use those trials to produce in you a Christ-likeness. He is going to mature you into adulthood as a Christian just like Christ. He learned obedience in the most difficult hours of life. Don't go back. For the same will be true for you. Notice this. If salvation is conformity to a Savior who suffered, maturity is clinging to the Savior in suffering. Maturity is normal. It's natural. Maturity is more than knowledge. And maturity happens in some of the most difficult moments of life. I wonder how many of you in Lakeville would even just give testimony this morning that the times you grew the most as a Christian were not kind of those mountaintop experiences, but the deep, dark valleys of life where God took you by the hand and led you through. My friend, that's how you grow, so don't go back. Persevere, endure, God will mature you through it. Now, why are they not growing? What's the cause or what's the reason why they've not developed as they should? Look at verse 11. About this we have much to say and it's hard to explain, so here's the reason. Since or because you have become dull of 
hearing. In other words, he's saying, I want to say more to you. I want to explain more to you. The issue is not that the content is hard. The issue is that your heart is hard. The issue is you're not listening. The issue is you've turned off your ears from the truth. That is a very, very dangerous place to be. Now, that gives us insight as to what I think verse 12 means. Look at it. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. I don't think the author here says, some of you by now ought to be teaching a class. Some of you by now ought to be preaching. Some of you by now ought to be a a pastor. I, I think he's saying this. Some of you ought to be to the point where you are giving instruction to others, but instead you still need to be instructed. You ought to be saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Think of it this way, all right, everybody listen. The fact that I am even having to write this letter to you is telling to your maturity. I ought not have to write it. I ought not have to say it. Do you know why? Because you ought to be the kind of congregation that's instructing one another. But the reason why you're not instructing one another is because you don't want to listen. You don't want to hear. You don't want someone to tell you hard things. Notice what he's going to say in chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. You ought to be giving instruction, but you don't want to hear it. Have you all ever heard of the dance of the porcupines? The dance of the porcupines is what happens during the real cold months is uh, porcupines will snuggle together. Now, just picture that, okay? You can imagine how painful it would be to snuggle with a porcupine. But they do it, even though it's painful, even though it's, it's uncomfortable, they do it because if they don't, they won't survive. They embrace the pain because they know the pain of being with one another is critical to their survival. The same thing is true with giving and receiving instruction in a congregation. Think of it this way. Notice this on the screen. I think this will preach. Milk is not the ability to understand doctrine. Milk is the inability to receive discipline. Some of you are 50-year-old Christians and you're still babies because you have turned off your ears to any correction in your life. And it's the reason you're so immature. It's the reason why you have not progressed the way you should. Because as Proverbs says, Proverbs 27 verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Author says, you ought to mature. You ought to be further along. Not in knowledge, but in practice. And that happens when you endure suffering. 
And you would endure suffering if you would receive discipline, receive instruction from one another as you encourage one another to keep pressing on. That's the way it works. So, so what's the takeaway for us? What is it that we learn from this passage? Notice these four things quickly. Number one is that we need to start listening. We need to start listening to what we hear. That is, you've got sermons around you, you're in Bible studies, uh, you've got teachers, you've got Christian friends speaking into your life. You need to listen to what is being said. Secondly, is learn what you can. Learn what you can. Some of them may be very, very bad sermons. Let me say that. Most of them will be very bad, bad sermons, okay? Some of the times what your friends may say to you could be off base. It might be 90% wrong or misinformed, but there's still probably something there that you can learn. Amen? What is that? And you'll never see it if you don't listen for it. So listen to what is being said, learn what you can, and then thirdly, look for what you can do. That is, from this thing that I can learn from today's message or from that conversation or from that Bible study, I listen to it, uh, here's something that I can learn. Now, what specifically can I do? Is there something I can change? Is there something I can apply? Is there something that I can implement in my life? Because knowledge is given for the purpose of obedience. You with me? And then lastly, let God do His work. Let God do His work. I take this from verse 3 of chapter 6. And this we will do if God permits. Make no mistake about it, faith family, spiritual maturity is not a human achievement. It's a divine work. Spiritual maturity is not a human achievement, it is a divine work. Now, that doesn't mean that we're passive, it just means that we're dependent. It doesn't mean that we're passive, it means that we're dependent. Do you remember we've talked so much here about abiding in the vine? That fruit gets produced not by self-effort, but by Jesus living His life through us. So we listen, we learn, we look for what we can do, and it's in that process that God does the supernatural work of growing us in Christ. Faith family, sometimes love is uncomfortable. Sometimes love hurts. It's because love does not, and I, we don't think this way in our culture, but love does not sit idly by and watch you destroy your life. Love intervenes. And we of all people ought to know that to be true. Because you see, just like Shelton, just like these Hebrew Christians, every single one of us was headed in the wrong direction. The Bible says that was the case of all of humanity since the beginning. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It has been ever since the fall what you might call a family tradition. But the good news of the gospel is that God ordained an intervention. And He did so because He loves you. He did so because He does not want you to remain on the path 
to hell. But in order for you to turn, you're going to have to listen to a word of instruction that you may not want to hear, but will save your life. And it is this, repent. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage this morning. All of us know that life is full of grow-up conversations. They happen all the time in many different ways. And how much so do we need that spiritually? It's just very, very easy to drift around, to not be progressing the way we ought to. So, Father, thank you for passages like this. Thank you for uh, grow-up conversations in your Word that, that wake us up, that cause us to look at our life and how we're growing. I pray this morning, if there is someone here that does not know Christ, that they would hear that word of instruction of repent and believe, and that they would trust Christ this morning. Others in this place that are Christians, but, but they've not been growing, I pray this morning they would see that their immaturity is not cute. And that what we need is to be growing in Christ. And so, Spirit, come and convict and draw us near, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.